You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Yay, we are live April 11th, 2017. It is uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, 11 Mountain Time, I do believe, and that's the time we had pegged away for a very special hour on News for the Soul, especially in times that we are in right now. We've talked to him many times over the years, and this, I believe, is going to be one of the most important chats because of what's going on in our world today. Greg Braden, New York Times best-selling author, internationally known as a pioneer in bridging science and spirit, which is one of the favorite places we like to hang out. Following a successful career as a computer geologist in the 1970s, he worked as a senior liaison with the U.S. Air Force Space Command during the Cold War years in the 80s. In the 90s, he became... um, Started, I think that's when he started exploring the spirituality side as well, and the two come together in a very most interesting way. He explored high mountain villages, remote monasteries, and forgotten texts, and started connecting the dots, and that's where it gets really exciting. Today, we're going to talk about his latest book as well, Resilience of the Heart. I understand it's the revised edition of The Turning Point, so we're going to find out all about that and find out what well, I'm most excited about checking in and tuning in with uh, Greg's exciting perspective perspective, conscious perspective on what the heck is going on in our world of extremes right now. Great, Braden, welcome back to News for the Soul. Hey, Nicole, it's so good to hear your voice. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you today and thrilled to be with our audience. Uh, thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> we have, we've done this it, a number of times, and I, when I saw the, the list came uh, into my office of my media interviews that I was going to have this week, I saw your name, a big smile on my face because we always have a really great program, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Oh, right back at you. We are very much appreciating uh, the piece that you bring to the big picture. And holy moly, I don't even know where to start today. I can't. I, it's you, been a few years since we've uh, talked, but you know, can I can world. I start? Can I can I get us started yeah. today? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to just share with our listeners. I had a really interesting interview <clears throat> recently, another another uh, radio station. And the first thing the interviewer said to me, he didn't say, welcome to the show, how are you, anything like that. He said, Greg, why can't you stick with one topic like everybody else? (laughs) He said, you are all over the map. He said, are you talking about science, spirituality, about DNA, about ancient history, about earth magnetics, about climate change? He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, every one of those things that you've just mentioned is a facet of the human experience. And in a very real sense, I said, I am talking about one, one thing, one topic. It just happens to be a really big topic. Uh, and it's about us and our relationship yeah. to ourselves and to the world and to the past and one another and to the future. And then he said, well, let's take a station break. <laughs> and then we came back and, and did the rest of the interview. So my work, it does touch on many facets of our experience because we don't live in a vacuum. That's the world that we live in. And that's one of the reasons I love working with you, Nicole, because you are doing such a, a beautiful job of taking uh, a message that for some people is, is a new way and a very different way of thinking and sharing this in a responsible way across the airwaves. And I appreciate that. I just appreciate it tremendously. Well, I, we, you know, like I said, we really value your work and your piece, and I'm extremely interested to get your overall perspective. That's where I'd like to start is, you right. know, if the world's very different than we it was when we last talked. We were kind of on this exciting ascension of connection, and, you know, you were showing videos of 
tumors disappearing in 60 seconds. We're all very happy and excited and woo. And we thought we'd be in a different place by now. Um, it's mm. got this overall view of things kind of going off the rails in the mainstream. And I thought we were further ahead, evolved consciously. And, you know, perspective on where we are in the world within the spirit and consciousness connections. How would you sum it sure. up in, in that view? Yeah. You know, it's. <clears throat> I was just reading um, uh, a history summary of the the last 200 years of uh, of our experience, and what many historians now uh, are suggesting, they embrace that the 20th century, <clears throat> they're saying, was a century of what they're they're calling a century of discovery. Okay, so you know the big discoveries of physics, uh, classical physics, quantum physics, uh, subatomic particles, DNA. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi Library, the oldest records of the New Testament, the Nag Hammadi, and, and uh, you know, space exploration. It was a century of exploration, and it revealed many things to us. And the 21st century, they say, where we are right now, is we are on a very steep learning curve of discovering what, where those discoveries fit in our lives. How do we apply what we now know to be true in our everyday lives? And I think the world is reflecting that. Uh, right now, Nicole, I, I, I trust, personally, I trust in the process. Uh, the world is a different place than I expected that we would be in, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the indigenous people that I've talked to and worked with, uh, many of the ancient texts, they say within the first 25 years of, of this new century, they said we won't even recognize our, our lives and our world anymore. And I, I think, you know, we're seeing that happen. So we're, we're learning about ourselves and our relationship to the world based upon new discoveries. And this is what I'm writing about. The, the new book, <clears throat> well, the newest book, that is on the market right now that, that you have access to is called Resilience from the Heart. There's actually another book that will be released October of this year called, uh, the title is Human by Design. And both of these books are based upon peer-reviewed science. So it's rock-solid science, uh, not necessarily my opinion or my perspective or my hypotheses or my theories, but this is the new science, Nicole, that is changing the way we think about ourselves and our relationship to the world. On the one hand, and on the other hand, there is, I'm just going to say there is not only a reluctance, but there is a resistance to sharing a lot of this new information in the mainstream because it, it overturns 150 years of scientific thinking and the, and the story that we tell ourselves. We are steeped in this scientific story that's based upon separation, uh, scarcity, competition, and conflict. And the new discoveries are telling us that we live in a, in a world of cooperation. Nature is based upon cooperation, not competition, and that we are deeply connected to ourselves and one another. And the science is showing us just how deep these connections go. So that is the, the theme for both of the new books, and the one that you just mentioned, Resilience from the Heart, uh, is just that. It is about the new discoveries uh, of specialized cells in the human heart that allow us uh, a direct access to our bodies in ways that we've never thought possible in the past. We thought only mystics and yogis uh, and special adepts could do something like this, and now it's becoming available to everyday people. So that's a long answer to a short question. I trust in the process in the world, uh, and what I think we're seeing is an unfolding of 
understandings of what is sustainable or what's not, what works, what doesn't. And what we're finding is a lot of the way we've been taught to think is no longer sustainable. And so we're the generation that's bridging these new discoveries and learning to apply them in our world. And I can't think of a more exciting time to be alive. I'm sure many of your other speakers are probably saying something very similar. So, uh, so again, that's a long answer to a short question, and I'll follow your lead, and we can go anywhere we want to go from there. It is a very exciting time for sure. And I think you nailed it right in the first half of your first sentence in response was that, you know, um, before we were learning about these things, now it's, it's essentially, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it basically we have to start doing what we've learned. Yeah. Start yeah. being it. Well, you know, that's the thing. You, what's happening is in the mid-1800s, you know, when I began talking about the discoveries of Charles Darwin and, uh, you know, many of the, the physicists that were making discoveries in, in the late 1800s, people say to me, Greg, we're in the 21st century. What difference could those things possibly make? And it's a really good question, and the answer surprises a lot of people. Yes, we are in the early 21st century, a, a sophisticated, highly technological world, and the society that we find ourselves in and the way we have been conditioned to think about jobs, about industry, about our relationship to the earth, about personal relationships, uh, the economy, corporations, <clears throat> all of those things, those ideas, those foundations were created in the mid to late 1800s. So we are steeped in a story based upon the science of the late uh, 1800s, and now the new science is overturning many of those beliefs. So knowing that we live in a world of cooperation, uh, for example, rather than competition, that nature is actually based in, in cooperation, our economic systems were based upon competition and conflict, based on the science of the 1800s. And that's why the economies of the world are in chaos right now. We're seeing the Brexit in the Middle East. We're seeing the European Union uh, face a possible breakdown. We're looking at, at the kind of debt. Here's a question, Nicole. I, this is fascinating. We've all seen nations in debt in the past, and it's common for another nation or a group of nations to bail them out. What happens when the the debt of the entire planet is greater than what the entire planet is producing. When, when the GDP of the entire planet is less than the debt that we've accumulated, who bails out an entire planet? And I don't know the answer to that. We're about to find out because that's where we are right now. The, the uh, industrialized nations have accrued so much debt that can never be paid back. That affects everything from uh, you know the, the way that we save for retirement, the way we save for our kids' education, our health care, all of those things. So they're, they're breaking down because they are based on principles that are simply not true. We don't live in a world of competition and conflict. We, we see those things. I mean, we have to be real, though we definitely witness competition and conflict in the world. And what the scientists now are telling us is the more of that competition and conflict that we see in the world, the further we have strayed from the natural laws and the more difficult it is for us to find our balance. So for me, personally, I'm a scientist. I was trained as, as an earth scientist, a geologist. And I know some of your other guests and dear friends of mine, Dr. Bruce Lipton, for example, and, and Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, we all look to nature for the model of, uh, of helping us to understand our relationship to ourselves and to the world and, and how to build a healthy family and a healthy 
healthy community and healthy societies. Uh, so if we look to nature, nature is showing us a very different model than what we have in place right now. And, and we're seeing, I think, the, the world is going through the, the throes of the changes to, to try to get back to more of those natural states of balance. And that's what the, the book, Resilience from the Heart, is all about. Uh, because one of the discoveries, and we mentioned this briefly in another interview, one of the discoveries that has just rocked the, the world of uh, the, the medical world, the world of biology, is the discovery of 40,000 specialized cells uh, in the human heart uh, that were simply not recognized in the capacity that they are right now. They are called sensory neurites, uh, and that's a, a technical term. They're essentially brain-like cells, but they're not in the brain. They're in the heart. So these are, these are the kind of cells you would expect to see in the cranial brain, but they're in the heart. And the reason this is important is because these cells think independently of the cells in our brain. They feel independently of the cells in our brain, and they remember independently of the cells in our brain. So every experience we've had in our lives, essentially it's recorded in two places. It's recorded in our brain and the way our brain interprets it, and we know about that. That's in, recorded in our heart and the way our heart interprets these experiences through these 40,000 cells uh, that have created a neural network that is literally called, literally, it's called the little brain in the heart is the term that's wow. being used now. So as now that we know these cells exist, as we're learning to access them, they open the door to uh, extraordinary abilities that I personally believe are actually ordinary abilities that we've either lost or forgotten. Uh, and when we can embrace these abilities in our lives, uh, it helps us to embrace change in the world in a healthy way. So if we ever needed a time uh, or if we never needed uh, some help in embracing uh, the tremendous change happening in the world, now I think is the time to do that because we are undergoing such, such a radical shift in, in the world that we've known in the past. So this, this is uh, the, the theme. The, the new book, in the very first chapter, you asked about the, the two books. There was a book that was released, I think it was 2015 or 2014. It was called The Turning Point, and it was a good book. It put many of the personal applications and the direct experience and the exercises that help people in their lives, they were in the back of the book. And one of the things that I've learned, Nicole, I'm, I'm a student of learning to listen I'm still learning, uh, and I work very diligently in listening to my audience and to our global audience. And what people all over the world said, they said, we want to get to that stuff faster. We want to get to the stuff that's going to help us in our everyday lives, direct experience, techniques, tools, applications. So I moved all of that to the front, and I added the new material and the new discoveries that simply were not available when I had written the book two years previous. So uh, it's new material uh, covering these 40,000 neurites, how we access them, uh, and what it means in a changing world. And that is what sets those two books uh, apart from one another. Does that make it's sense so, if I say it that way? <laughs> it's so interesting. I um, Decades ago, I interviewed Joseph Shilton Pierce, you know, cracking the cosmic egg. And he was saying all along, you know, from for years and years and years that the real brain power was in the heart. And we've heard so many people refer to that. So when was this recent study you're referring to, when was that um, published? Well, first, I've had the honor of uh, knowing, touring, and presenting with uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce, and he mm -hmm. was working very closely with the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T, uh, yeah. capital M-A-T-H, all, all one word. This is the pioneering research organization based in Northern California that, that explores the power of the human heart in 
uh, unconventional ways, in ways that typically aren't done in, in the universities and in, in the medical schools, uh, but based in science, in, in peer-reviewed science. So uh, I had the opportunity of, of touring with Joseph Chilton Pierce during, during the years when a lot of this information was being developed. The discovery was made in 1991. It wasn't published until 1994. And even though, this is fascinating for, for me, even though it, it, it was published in 94 and it is now documented, it's peer-reviewed science is documented, it is still not being taught in major medical institutions. And I just came last, last weekend, I just came from uh, a large conference, and it's very common for us to have uh, medical professionals and healing professionals and scientists and engineers in the audience, along with, you know, with uh, everyone else, the spiritual seekers. Uh, they all come together because this material touches on so many different facets of our experience. And I had medical students in the audience, and they were saying, why don't we know about this? Why, aren't we, why isn't this being taught in medical school? And, and I, I said, you know, I can't answer that question. But you're here now, and, and now you know about it. So, but it changes. It changes everything. When we talk about this little brain in the heart, and people say, well, you know, is it really a brain? It is a, it's a collection of cells that are concentrated into a network, a neural network, smaller but very similar to what we see in the brain. And we've learned to use the brain independently. We know that. Now we know that we can use the heart independently, and we also know now that we can harmonize, we can literally tune the heart and the brain together. So two separate organs, but there is one very potent neural network to give us access to extraordinary experiences like uh, deep intuition on demand when we choose to have it rather than uh, spontaneously, you know, when it just happens to occur. It gives us direct access to the subconscious. It's a hotline to the subconscious without hypnosis and without, uh, you know, listening to a special tape. Or I mean, you can do all those things, but sometimes they're not available. So direct access to the subconscious, and this is important for people who are, are using affirmations because an affirmation of healing or health or uh, relationship or uh, career success or self-esteem uh, or abundance or any of those kinds of things, they can only be effective when we are communicating with the subconscious. And if, if we simply say these things in our mind, but we're not accessing our subconscious, uh, they may not have the effect that, that we hope that they have. So this harmonizing of the heart and the brain uh, is a direct, it literally is a hotline into the subconscious to make those kinds of things more effective. Harmonizing the heart and the brain is a trigger for a, a extra powerful, super immune response. Um, and I can speak for my colleagues, my dear spiritual brothers and, and friends that I've toured with, such as uh, Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza. We use these tools or we couldn't, we couldn't tour the world with the kinds of schedules we have uh, if we didn't have really powerful immune systems and, and the ability to regulate these things. So we apply mm -hmm. these in our own lives. It's also a trigger uh, for the anti-aging hormones that every one of us has in our bodies. It's also a, tr a trigger for reducing stress and creating more resilience in our lives in time of change. So all of a sudden, knowing that we have access to these cells and that we can harmonize our heart and our brain and our brain together so they can work together, the act of doing this, that single act, opens the door to this vast array of applications, whether it's intuition on demand or, you know, the... Uh, 1,300 biochemical reactions, positive biochemical reactions. Uh, and we can do this. This is what's, what makes us so very powerful. We now know that we are the only species known so far that can trigger these and uh, initiate 
these relationships on demand. Other forms of life may be able to do it naturally, but we can consciously say in this moment in time, I choose to initiate a state of deep intuition. And that covers everything from precognition, you know, knowing about something before it's going to happen, to being able to communicate with other forms of life, with uh, other mammals. A lot of research is being done with uh, using the heart to communicate with other forms of life. Um, it just goes on and on. So I'm sharing, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here. This opens mm-hmm. an entire new door of possibilities for these experiences that help us in everyday life uh, that we in the past believed were, were relegated only to mystics and, and yogis, you know, living isolated uh, lives on a mountaintop half a world away. We can do this stuff in our living room. And the science now is telling us how it works. And our most cherished and ancient spiritual traditions are telling us uh, how to apply these things in our lives. This is where these two come together in, in a really beautiful way. How do we access and utilize these brain cells in the heart? And have you actually engaged in any of these experiments with anyone around that? Sure. Well, the first of all, I'll say the instructions I give, uh, they're very detailed instructions that are in uh, the book Resilience from the Heart. Uh, The science has been validated. A lot of the science comes from uh, the Institute of Heart Math and the work they've done over the last 20, I'm sure it's more than 20 years now, that they have perfected in the laboratory under laboratory conditions. My experience with indigenous people is that they have initiated techniques that parallel what the science is now developing. And and I think if something is true, I think you're going to see it show up in a lot of different ways. So the fact that science is now catching up, science is only about 300 years old. These indigenous traditions, spiritual traditions, many of them are 5,000 years old. So science is catching up with what our ancestors and what many indigenous traditions have always told us. So since 1986, I've had the opportunity to, to be... Uh, with our indigenous family in many different settings, the monks and nuns and the abbots in the monasteries in Tibet and Nepal and India and through the Andes Mountains, Bolivia and Peru and the the monasteries in Egypt and all through the American Desert Southwest and the Yucatan and Mexico and, and more. And as different as they are from one another, Nicole, what's so fascinating is that there are common themes that flow through every one of these traditions, even though they're spread through different times, different environments, different parts of the world. And when I'm working with the healers and the curandaros and the shaman, uh, the shamans in these traditions, one of the first things they do before they begin whatever their practice is, is they begin to access their heart. And that's precisely where the science is leading right now. So the techniques are techniques of focus, of breathing, physically being able to draw the attention from our mind into our heart. This is, I think, probably one of the hardest things for people in the West to do. If I ask someone uh, in a, a Western environment, in a corporate environment, and if I, I ask them, if I invite them to shift their awareness from their mind into their heart, they'll say, okay, okay, I'm in my heart now. What's next? And I'll say, well, you know, are you really in your heart? And they say, you know, well, how do you know? And this is where uh, where these techniques from the indigenous people really come in handy. One, for example, and I'll just share one of the techniques that they share, is if we can touch, gently touch our heart center, the center of our chest, right there uh, on the sternum. Gently touch that in a way that's comfortable for us. Some people use uh, uh, their middle finger and their ring finger, and they just simply... Uh, touch touch their uh, right on the bone right there right over the heart I'm doing it right now as if you could see me and here we are on, <laughs> on the radio so <laughs> we're not but 
some people in some traditions in the Middle East, for example, they use an entire open palm and they place that palm over the center of their chest, over their hearts. And they do the same thing uh, in the Yucatan in southern Mexico. They do the same thing. Uh, the point here is that uh, the Buddhists, Buddhists will make the prayer mudra that we're all familiar with, and, and then they hold that prayer mudra with their, their thumbs right against uh, the center of their chest. And, and this is what all of these traditions are doing, is they are physically touching their heart center. And here is the reason why that's important. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Our awareness, our conscious awareness, will always go to the place in our body where we feel a physical sensation. So when we physically touch our heart center in, in one of these ways, our awareness automatically goes to the place where, the, where that sensation is. And that is one of the, the techniques that the indigenous people use to move their awareness from their thinking mind into their feeling heart. So I'm, I'm just using that as an example. Uh, and then the, the breathing techniques that, that come after uh, that are now validated, we have equipment, technology that we can hook people up to uh, specialized pieces of software and uh, be able to actually see the effect uh, in their bodies that are, have, that, that are occurring from making these connections. So we can talk more about that if, if you'd like to. I uh, don't know how far you want to go with all of this. Um, well, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. This is new to us all. I'll just remind people listening, if you missed it, uh, you mentioned heart math. I talked to Howard Martin, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and that's in the archives at newsforthesoul.com. And it's funny, you know, when you hear things in threes, uh, this independently, this general topic about the power, true power of the heart has come up three times independently in three different ways for me this week. So I know this is important. And Ultimately, tying it back into current world events would be awesome. But tell us what's next. What's next? Where? At where you wanted to go. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you just uh, you just mentioned Howard Martin. Howard is. Uh, I met Howard uh, because of Heart Math in the early 1990s, and I, I trained directly with Howard Martin, uh, who is one of the, the founders of the Institute of Heart Math. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've had the opportunity to, to tour the world. We have been on stages everywhere, and, and now I can call him a dear friend as well. So many of the things that I am saying here from my perspective, Howard and the Institute of Heart Math have given me permission as an independent author to share my experience and my perspective uh, integrating their work at the same time. So where I've had more uh, experience with indigenous people and how indigenous people throughout the, the different traditions, how they have learned to apply this in our lives, uh, Howard and the research team, the, the rock-solid science behind this stuff, uh, from their institute in, in Northern California, they come at it from a little bit different perspective when they're training, you know, in a corporate environment uh, or with the U.S. military or something like that. But the bottom line for both is that we're getting people into their hearts. And that means different things to different people, Nicole. Our, we were conditioned, if we were educated in the West, and I'm assuming most of our, our listeners may not be in North America but have a Western education, we've been taught that the brain is the master organ of the body. 
And we all know the brain is important. Of course, it regulates uh, hormones. It regulates, uh, you know, the temperature in our body and a lot of the rhythms and the cycles and the functions within our bodies. But what we now know is the brain receives the instructions that tell it what to do. Many of those instructions come directly from the heart. Uh, every moment of every day, there is this conversation between our heart and our brain. It's happening right now for everyone listening. There's a conversation. I'll, I'll just speak directly to our listeners. Listeners, there's a conversation happening right now between your heart and your brain. Uh, your heart is having a big conversation with your brain through the vagus nerve. It's sending a lot of information through this, this thick nerve bundle into your brain. Your brain speaks to the heart less. It, it can. It's not as big of a conversation, and it's coming primarily through the spinal column, uh, down through the back of the brain and, and then down through the, uh, the nerves in the spinal, the spinal cord. So we're always having this conversation. The question is, do we know what we're saying? Do we know what it is that our heart is saying to our brain? And that is the core of these new discoveries and the ancient traditions. Uh, and it's by learning to focus in our heart, to breathe in specific ways, and to feel very specific kinds of feelings that we set up uh, a dialogue. And the dialogue can be measured electrically. It's a very low frequency, uh, 0.1 hertz, not even one, 0.1 hertz is the frequency that's optimum between the heart and the brain. So when we can focus on our hearts, breathe a little slower than usual, signaling safety to our bodies by breathing a little bit slower than usual, and we can begin feeling positive, what I would call, I don't like to judge feelings, but it's what we call positive feelings, such as gratitude, uh, appreciation, care, compassion. Those are, are four big ones that the, the scientists have found work for most people almost 100% of the time. So if you can choose one of those, gratitude, appreciation, care, or compassion, uh, this combination of events, the breathing, the focus, uh, and the feeling, and this is key, when we can feel one or some combination of those four feelings, our body interprets that uh, as uh, this electrical signal from the heart to the brain. And the optimum signal is 0.1 hertz. And when we can establish 0.1 hertz, we can feel the feelings of 0.1 hertz between our heart and our brain. We are said to be in high heart-brain coherence. And that heart-brain coherence is the key to everything that we're talking about here. So in, in the new book that you mentioned, Resilience from the Heart, uh, I, first chapter we talk about the new discovery, the cells, 40,000 specialized cells. And then throughout the book, uh, what this means and how we apply it in our lives through various exercises. So that's, uh, that's the essence of what that book is all about. So are feelings the key, the doorway? You know, it's interesting. They are not exclusively the key. They are an important component that's been discounted in our culture. For most, uh, you know, most people, we, we have feelings and emotions and experiences, and we've been conditioned to discount them to a large extent until recently. People in their 50s and 60s right now remember when we were taught that, you know, you know your feelings aren't, you know, they're not really real. I mean, it's just, it's just a feeling is what they used to tell us. You know, it was discounted. Now we know that the feeling uh, is a powerful component in these indigenous traditions. And, and interestingly, uh, Nicole, the very texts of our most cherished spiritual traditions, the Western Bible, for example, uh, and some of the Eastern traditions, when they were edited and there were pieces that were removed uh, or condensed, what was taken out was the information that tells us the power of human emotion. So, for example, in the, the, uh, the Christian Bible, the New Testament, uh, what the, the New Testament, and this isn't about religion, this is about uh, instructions. This is about uh, the masters of the past 
informing their students of the deep relationship that their students had within themselves and with the world around them. And those were based upon spiritual principles. Uh, The religions came along later and wrapped the rules and the dogma around those fundamental spiritual principles for control. But before the religions ever existed, those principles were already there, and so that's why I'm mentioning this. So, for example, New Testament, uh, we know at least 43 books were removed uh, in the 4th century by the Emperor Constantine. Uh, and what we see today is the the reduced, rearranged, condensed version. Uh, it's good, but it isn't complete. And we know that because the Nag Hammadi Library, discovered uh, in the mid-1940s, revealed for the first time the original, t- uh, well, all the text in their original form. And among those was uh, a book called the Gospel of Thomas. So the Gospel of Thomas uh, contains very specific instructions for the kinds of things that we're talking about that were simply removed from uh, from the biblical canon, from the, the modern Bible in the 4th century, telling us about the power of human emotion and how to use that emotion uh, you know, for healing in our lives. So that's one example of where we've known this in the past, uh, and then for a number of reasons, that knowledge was taken from uh, one of our most cherished spiritual traditions, and now it's being reintroduced from from the language of science. So the the power of human emotion uh, is what establishes that point one hertz uh, relationship between the heart and the brain. You can be in your heart and not have the heart-brain relationship. And and that is another technique. Sometimes we don't need that full heart-brain relationship. Sometimes we can simply focus in our hearts uh, through touching our heart center the way that I mentioned and through breathing techniques that slow uh, slow our breathing so that we know that we're, we're in a place that's safe. Uh, and there are sometimes for certain kinds of intuition, the technique stops there. That's all you need. And if you want to go deeper and initiate some of the healing techniques and things like that, uh, then you can establish that heart-brain coherence. Also, it has been found to be very effective. Uh, I just want to ask, have you, I'm assuming you've had Joe Dispenza on your program. Have you had Joe on recently? Yes, not recently. I haven't talked to him in a few years, but yes, he's been on as well. Okay, well, one one of the things, and the reason I asked, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a uh, neuroscientist, talks about neuroplasticity and, and the way the brain can change. One of the Another one of the new discoveries, Nicole, I mean, this stuff, it just goes on and on uh, because the science is moving so fast right now. But one of the discoveries is the existence of a brain state above the brain states that we've typically seen in our you know, our high school and college biology books with the, the, the alpha and, the, and the, the beta states. Now we have a gamma state. And the gamma state is a very, very fast brainwave. It is uh, associated with super learning. So, for example, and total recall. So if uh, people have seen movies like, uh, if you've ever seen Jason Bourne, you know, the Matt Damon and all, all of the, uh, the Jason Bourne movies where he does these amazing, he could walk into a room, he looks at the room once, he leaves, and he has total recall of everything in the room. Those techniques are actually being taught today, and they're using what we're talking about now, this heart-brain connection for not only to take in tremendous amounts of information, but to be able to access, to recall the information that we have. Super learning is what it's called. So in a gamma state uh, that is achieved through this heart-brain connection, we are not only super learning, uh, but it also helps people in, uh, who are dealing with depression. It moves them out of the state of depression by being in the gamma state. 
So there are many benefits, uh, health benefits, even if people aren't into what we would call the, you know, necessarily the the spiritual aspect, or they're not into the intuition or subconscious or any of those things. Simply harmonizing the heart and the brain is a really healthy thing to do, uh, and it, it's something that can be done before we do the other things, the other practices that we have. So it, if we have a yoga practice, for example, uh, yoga goes much better when our heart brain is harmonized and in coherence. We have a martial arts practice. Uh, we're much more effective when our heart and brain is, is in coherence. So what I like to say is everything goes better with, with coherence. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. So it's not in place of, we become coherent uh, and then go about doing the practices that, that are important to us. Uh, and these techniques, Howard may have mentioned this, they're actually being used in the U.S. military, all four branches of the U.S. military for our uh, amazing men and women who are serving our country right now in, in ways that we just don't get to hear about. They're doing much more than working on the battlefield. So much is going on, rebuilding infrastructure and education and medical and uh, all kinds of things. But before they're deployed, many of them are learning about heart-brain harmony uh, so that they are focused when they're in their deployment. And the flip side that I think is really exciting is once your nervous system is wired uh, for battlefield conditions or for survival, when you're deployed uh, you know, halfway around the world in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere like that. It doesn't turn off the moment you get on the plane to come home. And the very sad statistics that, um, that we're seeing about U.S. men and women, service men and women coming home and high rates of uh, suicide, it's very sad to talk about, uh, high mm -hmm. rates of divorce, uh, things like that, because they, they're having problems reintegrating. How do, you, how do you make that shift from being in the battlefield to walking down the streets of, you know, San Francisco or Chicago or Albuquerque, New Mexico or, you know, wherever? And these techniques are actually being used to, to help them reintegrate uh, and reset. The term is to reset their nervous systems. Uh, also being wow. used by first responders. Uh, EMTs, um, police, uh, fire, first responders, right after 9-11, they started using the technique. So I'm just saying this so that our listeners can know this is more than simply a spiritual practice. It, it is the doorway to the spiritual practices that I've experienced personally through my indigenous uh, experiences or my experiences with indigenous people. Uh, but it is also physiologically, it's a really healthy thing to do, and it, it opens the door to... Uh, to triggering healthy healthy states within us, uh, as I mentioned, over 1,300 biochemical reactions, positive biochemical reactions, just from doing this this one technique. That again was a long yeah. answer to a short question, but I I just wanted people to know that the many applications for for something like this. Mm hmm. And you know, intellectually, it makes sense, and and based on the conversations we've had over the decades of. Um, you know, the connections with the heart and the power of that in bypassing the straight conscious mind. It all makes sense, right? So how do we apply this or can we apply this to manifesting a more positive outlook path for the collective in the world right now? Well, this is uh, it's a really good question, Nicole, and this is another facet of the studies that are being done, uh, pioneered by the Institute of Heart Math. 
Uh, and as a as a, a former geologist, I'm not a practicing geologist now, but I am an earth scientist. So I find this what I'm about to share uh, especially fascinating. We've all heard of the magnetic field of of the Earth, and the magnetic field that a lot of people don't know is that it influences every form of life. I mean, every blade of grass, every dog, every cat, every hamster, every goldfish, every CEO of every corporation, every leader of every nation, there is no them and us when it comes to the magnetic field of the earth. There is only a we. We are all deeply influenced by this field. And here's the reason that I'm saying this and why it's important is because the science is showing very clearly that when the magnetic field of the earth is strong, it influences us in a positive way. We become less aggressive, more cooperative, more willing to work together, better listeners, and when the magnetic fields are weak, just the opposite happens. We become uh, more aggressive, less willing to work together. Uh, and unfortunately, we discovered this through 9-11. 9-11 was the first time that scientists discovered uh, how deep our relationship to the Earth really goes. Now, maybe to our listeners, we say, you know, this is you know, no big news to us. We've always known this. That's to the listeners of this program. But scientists have been trained to think uh, of humans as separate from one another, separate from the earth. And we, they've been trained to believe that we have very little influence over our own bodies uh, and over what happens in the world. And 9-11 taught scientists that that's not true. And here is what happened? Uh, the magnetic fields that I just described, they're so important that we have satellites every 30 minutes, or maybe even more frequently, but every 30 minutes they send data back to the Earth to tell scientists how strong those fields are and what's happening. They, they fluctuate on a daily basis. There are rhythms. Uh, they ebb and they flow. It looks like a, a, a big sine wave. Every 24 hours the magnetic fields of the Earth ebb and they flow and they ebb and they flow. Scientists knew that. But what happened was there was one day when the magnetic data from the Earth, there was this huge spike. It was higher than what they would traditionally see. <clears throat> and they, they weren't used to seeing that. And they said, well, you know, what, what on Earth? I mean, literally, what on Earth <laughs> is happening to make these magnetic fields so strong? And they looked at the date where that spike occurred, and it was, uh, it was 9 a.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time, September 11, 2001. It was 15 minutes after the first planes hit the first tower of the World Trade Center. So the scientists believe it took about 15 minutes for the, those horrific images that we all remember, those of us that were living men, they believe it took about 15 minutes for those images to circulate the globe and for people to respond emotionally to what they were seeing. And for most people, that response, it was a heart-based response. Now, they were different. Some of them were, some of it was fear, some of it was sadness, uh, some of it was shock. Uh, but everyone, it was a heart-based experience. The strongest magnetic field generated in the human body is generated by the human heart. And some people are surprised by that because they, they think it's the brain. The brain has uh, a magnetic and electrical field, but it's weak compared to the human heart. The heart has the strongest electrical and the strongest magnetic field in the human body. So 9-11, what happened was hundreds of millions of people simultaneously were witnessing the horrors of New York City in 9-11, and hundreds of millions of hearts were generating increased magnetic response to, to what they were seeing that actually influenced the magnetic fields of planet Earth. And this is what was showing up on the satellite data. We spiked the, the 
magnetic field of our planet in response to what we saw, and here's why that's important. If you and your listeners can remember, at least, at least for a few days after 9-11, we were so close as a global family. I mean, not only in America, I was in Australia when the whole thing happened. I couldn't even come home for a few days. So I know that it wasn't only in America, but we were close as a family. People in big cities, they looked at each other in the eyes and they spoke to one another and there were hugs that were happening. And there was this, this sense of unity. And scientists uh, attribute that to the high magnetic fields of the planet that resulted from our seeing the, what, what had happened. So the question became immediately, can we create that kind of an experience without the tragedy? Can we consciously raise that magnetic field of the planet uh, without having a tragedy that we react to? Can we do it because we choose to? Uh, and the answer is yes. And this became the foundation of a project uh, that is spearheaded by the Institute of Heart Math and, and for Transparency. Uh, I want our listeners to know I'm on the, the steering committee uh, and a spokesperson for this project uh, that is called the, the GCI, the Global Coherence Initiative. So the personal hmm. coherence we just talked about, personal coherence is good for us individually. Global coherence is good for the planet. And what has happened, I'll just make a, a long story very brief, because I know we're coming up on, on the end of our hour here. Satellites to detect these fields are very expensive. So the scientists, the Institute of Heart Math, uh, worked on ground-based sensors uh, and created a network of these sensors uh, in different nations that all feed back to one computer in Northern California, and they measure the planet's response in our interaction with the planet, they measure these magnetic fields uh, every day. And if people want to see these, uh, you can actually see them real time. And you can see them about, I think they post them uh, usually at midnight after the, the data is, has been analyzed every day at uh, www.heartmath, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H, all one word, dot org, and then go to GCI, Global Coherence Initiative. It doesn't cost you anything. You can see the live data. You can see the science. You can read about the sensors. So we now have a way, a feedback mechanism, so we can see what's happening with the fields of the earth. That's part one. Part two is training people to create this heart-brain coherence so that throughout every day across this planet, there are people that are literally feeding the field in a positive way. So we're all feeding it every day. We're all having feelings. The question is, what are we feeding the field every day? Uh, and it's by learning this, these various techniques of heart-brain coherence that we're actually contributing not only to our own health, but contributing to the field that influences our cooperation or lack of cooperation on, on the planet. So it is, there are two, two things happening here. We've got personal and we've got global uh, healing that is occurring from uh, embracing this relationship that was known by our ancestors in ancient traditions and is now being validated uh, and reconfirmed and expanded through, through the best science of the modern world. And it all happens within the context of a world that we're living a time of extremes. Uh, the world is changing faster than we've been prepared to accept. And for many of us, uh, we're just not used to that kind of change. So I think it, when I said I trust in the process, it's only now that the science is giving us the tools to tune our bodies and harmonize to the rate of change that we're seeing in the world while the demand for that change is emerging. And I think it's perfect symmetry, perfect timing. Uh, I don't understand everything that's happening. I don't claim to. 
but I do trust in the process and as I see it unfolding. Wow, that's exciting. Global coherence sounds very intriguing. When Next time we talk, we'll have to get more into that. I'm curious as if you know uh, if there was any kind of major thing tracked on November 8, 2016. If there were any major, uh, we, the signal broke up a little bit, and I couldn't hear what you said, Nicole. Sorry, major energy shift tracked on uh, November 8, 2016. You know, it, it was interesting. I went back. It was not what people would have expected. I went back, huh. uh, and I looked at the magnetic fields. You're talking about the elections, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I went back, and I looked. Well, first I compared. I went back to Obama's first election, the very first time he was elected. And what the data showed uh, is that there was a lot of excitement in the fields leading up to his inauguration. And on Inauguration Day, not so, so much the election, but on Inauguration Day, the field became very quiet. It was the global energetic field became very quiet. Uh, scientists are reluctant to say one thing causes another. So what they will say is that something correlates with another. And there's a high correlation between a calm that came, that flowed across the planet, uh, at least in those magnetic fields, and, and when the inauguration happened, and it lasted for a few days. Um, we didn't see that kind of change, but we also didn't see uh, a lot of, um, you know, they thought their scientists and many casual observers thought there might be some kind of uh, you know, anxiety showing up in the field. And, and that didn't really show up either, at least initially. Uh, it showed up a, a few days, I think it was three or four days later, there started to be a lot of activity in the field. And if you, mm. if you go in, in, on this website, the bright, the bright areas that you see on those 24-hour charts, that is where there's a high level of activity. And when you see the, the dark blues and uh, we don't see much happening there, that is, uh, those are, are the quieter areas. So there was a, I think... People were surprised uh, at what happened during the election and the inauguration, and I think maybe the field, this is my personal opinion, this isn't Hartman saying this, my personal feeling is I think people, the world was surprised uh, and was kind of, I think the magnetic fields are reflecting us kind of letting it sink in what has just happened. Mm -hmm. And it took a few days to do that, and then, then about three days later, we started seeing a lot of, uh, uh, really a lot of activity. And that's, I think, when people figured out what just happened, and they said, okay, you know, now what? <laughs> What's next? So, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Well, that's yeah. a very intriguing project. Well, I was not aware of that, and now I'm on the live data, so I'm going to be on there for several hours. That's fun. Thanks for letting so you, us you know were, about You were able to bring, it, bring up the site while we're talking? <laughs> yes. Uh, I went into global coherence under research and then live data. So Yeah, yeah like, so you can so see yeah. the live data. What's important here is this project, uh, and I'll tell you, everyone is fascinated by this, U.S. military, uh, mainstream scientists. We have never, never has – We've never had this depth of understanding between the human body and the magnetic fields of the earth as individuals and the collective response and our collective relationship to this field. And it, it goes back, it harkens back to this idea that we are part of the world rather than separate from. We are part of a living system and we influence this system consciously or subconsciously, whether we know it or not, we're, we're influencing it. And now we have the ability to consciously come together as a global community. Uh, and through doing something that's good for us individually, collectively, it's good for our communities and it's good for nations. And I can't think of a better time to, to have that ability 
uh, and to, to breathe life into that ability. And maybe not a better way uh, to end our program because it looks like it's almost the top of the hour for you. So We are very I uh, really appreciate you, your work, your long years of dedication to bringing this information forward, and I hope you'll join me when your next book comes out by October to discuss that as well. I would love to. All I need is an invitation, so <laughs> I think I just heard one. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, Nicole, right, thank, you, thank you so much for the work you're doing, and um, everyone listening, I just want to thank you all for all you're doing. Just to be the best person you can be and to create the best world possible, uh, I'm an optimist. I've never been more optimistic about our world. And I'm also a realist. We have a lot of work to do to to bring what we know in our hearts to fruition in our lives. And I, I just want to say one thing about work. Uh, the prophet Khalil Gibran, the, the poet and the prophet uh, and the author in the 20th century, in his book that was titled The Prophet, he wrote about work. And what he said very clearly, and I read this when I was 10 years old, and it's been with me ever since. He said, work is our love made visible. Work is love made visible. And it's going to take a lot of work to change the way we think and live, uh, that's our love made visible. And I think we're worth it, and I think our world is worth it. So that, that's what I'd like to leave our listeners with today, Nicole. Perfect. Resilience from the Heart, Greg Braden's latest book. We'll talk to him again soon. And, Greg, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I look forward to the next time. Take care. I'm looking forward to it already. Greg Braden can be found online and linked up at newsforthesoul.com. This will be in the archives and re-aired on our California stations this week. And we'll go out from there. We are back with more right after this. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. And we love News for the Soul. I'm feeling enormous energy around this show. Just enormous, enormous. Uh, I, I really have to hand it to you, Nicole. You've created sort of a niche of amazing amazing connections that just like <laughs> the angels and the devatas that are like attracted to news for the soul is amazing like uh, this is what's okay. getting it, it's it's some angel telling somebody okay listen get on this show listen to this program even not my program whatever program you've got on huh? it's really amazing it's hard to believe it's uh, 17 years since uh, I was there in vancouver and you were sitting there in class, and you were using remote viewing, and I think I said to you that uh, you were going to be a radio talk show host or something along those lines. It wasn't really a prediction. It was just a kind of a sense of who you were and what you were doing and the direction you were going. And wow, voila, and there you were. <laughs> and still going. But it's amazing. Look at what you've done with it. I just wanted to say I'm very proud of you for what you've accomplished, uh, for just the format to the assemblage of wonderful people, great minds, and people who are working to serve humanity and do the things that they do. It's really, I've been looking through your list of callers and, uh, I mean, uh, of uh, interviewees, and you just do a tremendous job. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I really am. And uh, I'm proud of all the people that support you and follow you and do what they do and just keep doing that for, for this wonderful woman. Uh, it's so important because there are not a lot of really high-quality 
message portals that are out there where messengers get to come in and say what they want to say uh, in this format. So it's because of your support of her that she's able to continue doing that. So please step that up and continue doing it. And I just want to do it more. I mean, I feel good being here and being with you. I always do when I'm talking with you. So I think we just need to keep doing this more. And we love news for the show. Hello, everybody. This is Damian Brinkley. Welcome to the hearts and minds of Unfold.